0: What happens when an athlete reaches the end of their career and is confronted with the question, what next? Accomplished Australian soccer player Todd Brody says the key is understanding one's identity. This week we'll be discussing all things football, and he'll be sharing his incredible journey that included a lot of travel, many trophies, and even more soul-searching.
1: Welcome to Science of the Times Radio.
0: This week on Science Radio, I have a super special guest with me. His name is Todd Brody. Now, Todd, you are a former soccer player. Now you're doing all sorts of enterprises, doing a lot of PT work. Mate, it's so good to have you on the show. (laughs) It's actually soccer season. There's Euro 2020 and then there's Copa America 2021. Now, both of those were supposed to happen last year, but then the pandemic happened, so they're happening this year. But, mate just tell us a little bit about yourself what's your what's your background when did you get into football
1: sure well first of all thank you for having me mate it's uh it's good to be here so look my background or introduction to to football or soccer as we call it in this part of the world was was quite young i was about four and a half because i have two older brothers yeah they were they were playing and at one of my brother's games they were short in the under sixes so i jumped in and I never stopped until I was 30. (laughs) So basically, that was it. But, you know, we grew up in the era of, you know, cricket was obviously really popular with Day Night Cricket and the Island Borders and stuff like that. But for us, we loved the FA Cup. That was sort of the only thing that we used to see as as kids on TV, SBS. and, And for me, it was Craig Johnston for Liverpool. That was 1986. And I would think I was five and a bit. So for us, playing in England or playing for Liverpool and watching the the World Cups, Italia 90, I remember. So as far as I can remember, football has been there and I always wanted to be a footballer. Yeah. I always wanted to be a, a professional player and just thought, thought, yeah, that's that's standard. We'll just do that. Well, that's <laughs> so interesting because you were born in Sydney, right? Born in, in, in Western Sydney, yeah, from, I guess, Anglo parents where my father loved soccer and that's, that's why my brother started playing it. But, you know, all of my area, if you like, and my mates were rugby league, big time, and cricket. No one really played soccer. And so, when I I went to, say, rep football for the first time when I was about nine, there was only a couple of so-called, you know, Aussies and Anglos. It was Italians, Croatians, Greeks, and you learnt and learnt fast.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I guess it's really funny because that is the general stereotype about football or soccer in this country is that Mm. it's considered to be the migrant sport. When something like Euro 2020 comes up where Australia is not obviously participating in that tournament, it does still generate quite a bit of interest because- a lot of people have you know, migrant heritage in this country, yeah. but yeah, it is pretty interesting that, as a born Aussie lad you know you you still forged on with a, a love of soccer,
1: yeah, yeah, I used to love it it was it was strange right you'd be in some parts and you did feel a little bit out because all of them are Greeks, Italians, and Macedonians, and you were. You know they were very street smart, right, yeah, so they had generations generation of understanding what real football was like, whereas I was quite naive, so you, you did have to learn pretty fast how to how to handle yourself and deal with that, whereas all of my mates at school and that I would hang out with on weekends were always playing cricket and rugby league and stuff, so i I never really had an interest, you know I loved football, I loved or soccer, I loved um, everything about it, and always had a positive influence on me man
0: so, so what was the point at which you decided that you're going to go pro? And turn this into a career?
1: I think when when I started rep football, I was very young. I was 9 or 10. We used to have what they called the, the super squad at, at Soccer New South Wales, right? Right. And we were 9s and 10s, but there was a group that was the first super squad 11s. That was your Harry Kules, your Brent Emmertons, And so that sort of whole era just continued on until what we had, um, which was the Australian Shooter Sport, and we had Joey's, right? So because I was blessed enough to sort of make those teams year in, year out, you, you were sort of being groomed or you naturally always had this thought that, okay, I want to make the under-15 state team and I want to make the under 16, so I want to make the Joeys. So I want to get to the AES. And we always used to have, you know, you know, camps four or five times a year and tours. And so you were part of this so-called elite group where that's what you were always aiming for. And of course, our whole world was not really anything except football. Like it wasn't two or three nights a week. It was five, six days a week football. That's it, even in the off season. So for us, Everything we watched everything we did was football if, if we had camps that were five or seven days you 'd stay over it wasn 't this go for four hours and come home and and chill out. It was immersed in football, and mm. I loved it and then even on our breaks we 'd watch football you know so that was my my world and then up until well for me, I always wanted to go to England and yeah. i was was given a scholarship we we had a place called the Big Brother movement, so Harry Kuhl and Brent Emerson were the pioneers. they went on the first big brother movement for football. That's how they got to Leeds United. And I was about two years later. So for me to get that was huge. And that's the first real experience of proper football, right? I'm in England. I'm at a, a club called Middlesbrough. You really see for the first time what a culture that is immersed in football is like compared to here where I actually never even watched an NSL game, really, yeah. which was our national league, or didn't have necessarily that on television for me to watch all the time. I didn't really know too many players. And then from there, I went to the Australian of Sport where again, you're around a group of people where we're all aiming for either the under-17 or the under-20 socceroos or young socceroos and to get a pro contract and get straight back overseas, which I was um, blessed at just after 18 signing for a club called Marconi in, in the NSL and playing with players that I used to be a ball boy for years before or, or watched in, in 1993. We had the World Youth Cup here and being ball boys for those guys that eventually were my teammates or my coaches. So... It was, it was awesome,
0: man. It was so, fun. So, when you started out your career, you were a central midfielder, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So, how did you know from the beginning or were you sort of picked? Was it based on your abilities? And like, mm. what is a central midfielder? Because for <laughs> me, I love football, <laughs> right? Run a lot. <laughs> I love football. And some of these positions are well-defined. You know, you have the winger who's sort of, you know, stays to one side and does, yeah. you know, does overlaps and all this sort of stuff. <clears throat> you have the... the the attacking midfielder who starts the plays, the yeah. defensive midfielder who sort of screens the defence. Yeah. What does a central midfielder do?
1: Look, back in the day, 3-5-2, which is a formation, was was sort of the go-to. So, I would always be either what you call the number six, which is the deep midfielder. Yeah. So, that links, if you like, so receives and gets it from defence, tries to switch or link up with your your sort of higher or your front third. And then, you know, the 4-4-2, four, four, which was sort of old school, would be the two two sort of centre midfielders. So, I guess... As far back as I can remember, I was always very fast, very fit, and I was always um, able to sort of be quite comfortable on the ball, not as much as a lot of other players that as I was exposed to growing up. Well, that were maybe the number 10, so they were up further where they were very good on the ball and could create things and score. That was never me. I was never a, a scorer of, of, of goals. I was never necessarily a creator in the top third. I was the workhorse and the builder. And when I went to the yes, that's what they took me for. They took me for it as a midfielder. But as the second year at the OES, we had both of our wide players, our wingbacks, get injured. 1998 was in France, World Cup, and 3 5 2 was the formation. And, and France that won it and Holland that were very good had these great wingbacks. Mark Overmars was one of them, Liza and And course, of my, I guess, my speed and my fitness, they said, okay, go out there for one of these games. And I actually relished it and did really well. And the coaches at the time, well, listen, <laughs> you can play there as well, but we had a uh, a coach from Marconi come watch, and it saw me play in that position, and so he just went, okay, well, I need a wing back, or I want that player, so I signed for Marconi. So, although all of my life, from as far as I can remember, was midfield, I actually signed my first contract because I I could play wing back. Yeah, and that sort of became my position the whole time I was at Marconi. The only time I ever really went back to play midfield was for Sydney Croatia or Sydney United later in, in my life yeah that's right which I enjoyed more funnily enough because you can create so much more
0: yeah it's like you're like a deep lying
1: playmaker in some yeah, senses yeah, yeah. and you, you get the ball and you can see most of the field it's difficult because you've generally got your striker that is coming to get you maybe their number 10 which is sort of the one that sits behind the striker plus you've got their midfielders coming so you've got to keep your body open up as much as you can you've got to be comfortable to move the ball and switch play but you tend to not go too far forwards because you also have to break up play yeah and things like that so
0: and as a result because you're not obviously sitting inside the final third for the majority of the game Mm. it also means it's not an unusual thing for a a person in a central midfield or defensive midfield position to score as many goals right
1: no 100 percent. yeah your job is to to sit in front distribute switch play support if you were to ever score goals (laughs) you never would really find yourself that far up or you're pinging it from 30 yards out which (laughs) definitely wasn't my game either
0: what is what is your most memorable goal that you've ever scored though that Oof. you remember? Mate,
1: funnily enough, as a kid we were playing against a team, I was playing for Granville Reps and I remember um thinking if if the goalkeeper kicks this big enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this ball, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna score. That's it's it's I never really had that decisive thought and I just was way up because we were I think we were losing one 0 or it was nil all. And sure enough the goalkeeper kicked it out, our striker headed it on, I got the ball just on halfway it all the way through and put them in the corner because I don't score much right yeah and it was amazing it's like I just visualized that and then it actually just happened and and that was still memorable for me because it's so rare that I scored and was up that high and I now know why strikers get paid the most and, and have the most fun.
0: <laughs> Did you, do you feel a lot of pressure when you're in the final third and you're yeah because this- we call it
1: nosebleeds right like, it's like we're not used to being up that high in the uh in the stand, so you know, that's, I do value those that, that are top strikers because they have what we call composure, right? Yeah. Whereas when you, you're up there, you're sort of thinking, okay, what do I do now? I'm used to passing to someone who does this, whereas now you're it. So, yeah, that's probably one of the most memorable. And, and the other one was we were on a state championship. It was under 12s, and I volleyed the ball outside the box and, and scored. But, mate, I never scored too many,
0: mate. It's really funny. <laughs> Easy to remember, that's why. I'm sure as a kid, you kind of dream about getting in there and scoring a goal Mm. for your your country at the World Cup or something like that. (laughs) Penalty. That's all I ever had a chance to score, I reckon. I mean, in your position, like where you you have Mm. to produce tackles and stuff, you have to be super physical. Did that ever take a toll on your body or were you up for it all the time?
1: I I love that stuff, you know. I love, you know, we'd always have maybe big stoppers, right? So I'd love to be around the big stoppers, might get up there and win the headers and I'd get stuck in there and, and pick the ball up and distribute. I always had... I don't know, a, a joy and a, and a stimuli of creating and and being the person that gets the ball and puts that beautiful pass through yeah. you know, for the winger or for the striker. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, you did your apprenticeship at the AIS uh, mm-hmm. where you were, like you mentioned, you were brushing shoulders with these these guys that end up, you know, like Harry Kuehl, huge sort of representative for Australia and for Liverpool and stuff. What was happening in your career at, at this point?
1: Yeah, this is, I mean, when, when I left the AIS... You know, we had about four or five players. I'll say this because there was four or five players that naturally were just wonderfully gifted, Yeah. right? And they all had contracts already teed up with West Ham. One of them was the captain of West Ham youth team that won the FA Cup when John Terry and everyone was there and Lampard, so tremendous talent. Another player went to Crystal Palace. Another player went to, I think it was Portsmouth. But by by about 2021, they were all washed up. Yeah. Because naturally, they didn't really ever have to work too hard. They got by. And as soon as it got a bit hard or as soon as it needed to, to be a little bit more of a grind, they struggled. With me, I was the reverse. So when I got my contract, I knew that that work ethic had to stay. Yeah. So I was able to maintain that as long as I could and stayed with Marconi for a few years. But there was never really a time I thought much past wanting to play for my country. Yeah. It was always my dream. And we had our, our ES team was majority of, did you imagine, it's like an Australian under-18 team that were groomed to be the 2001 World Cup team in Argentina yep. and a couple months before that I did my knee and I remember uh, you know realizing well hang on it's going to take me at least six weeks or so to get back and get fit and consequently I missed missed that tournament or, or was not even in contention by the time it was to choose the last one so that began a very difficult time I, I, I signed and had another year at Marconi and then um, not sure how much detail to go into here but there was a point where we'd made the final series and coach at the time Eddie Krenchevich, we're on a bus um, coming back from Adelaide and he asked me to sit with him he said you know we've got the final series next week It's to play home and away legs and it's about time that you started earning some money so I want to re-sign you for, for a, a number of years and we'll talk about after the finals so yeah. at this point you know I thought you know I've signed for two years before that or signed for a year and re-signed I'm living my dream and now it's going to even be further into my life but it changed dramatically He got the sack three weeks later. Oh, wow. Second option, uh, which was Canberra Cosmos at the time, our old AIS coach, I said, well, I'd love to have you. So I thought, you know what, this is probably a good thing because I'll go back to where the focus is a little bit more on development and I'm still only 22 at this point. And then he resigned and then Canberra Cosmos folded. So I was now gone from being told I'll have two, three-year deal coming up to then that coach getting the sack and then the next club Folding. So at this point I had no club and I made some poor decisions in where to go and what to do. And then it it took me actually another two years, two seasons before I actually got my chance again to play back in the NSL with Marconi, with a coach that used to have me um, at Marconi before, and then the NSL folded. At the end of that
0: season. Yeah. And that's when the, the A league was created, right? Which was, which is Australia's top division competition for football in the country. Yeah. Now, I was under the impression that a lot of business issues that football players have to deal with is done mm. through an agent. In fact, I actually read an article mm. this week. My, my favorite team is Adelaide United, who mm. you've played against many times in your career. I've gone Club. on YouTube and seen highlights of you playing against them. <laughs> this Adelaide United player talks about how, you know, he, he had a good season, but then pretty much his agent was promising him oh you know we've got you know he was getting offers to go to different clubs his agent was like oh let's just hold out for a little bit there's going to be something better coming Mm. and then Mm. nothing ever came and he ended up falling out of top division football and ended up spending the rest of his career in in lower divisions was the agent's control over a footballer sort of uh, where a footballer goes was that a big thing back then or was it sort of up to you to to decide where you go and you know talking directly to the Football club management
1: it it existed, but not nowhere near to the extent it does now. Almost every single player will have an agent or have had one for a yeah. number of years, especially if they 're from the young socceroos or their oes so there was a couple that floated around that and not having a a mentor or not probably having a positive influence at this point in my life that i 've just mentioned is is part of, of, of the downfall of then what happened. Because, for example, we're, we've got about a month to go before the finals and I have, there used to be a club called Northern Spirit, approach me and asked if I'd be interested in coming along. Now, of course, at the moment, I'm, I'm flying with Marconi. I'm not interested in anything else. So I go, no, I'm okay. Now, if I had an agent at that time or I had someone that I trusted, I at least would have had a discussion.
0: Yeah. And then
1: that discussion perhaps would have then led to saying to Marconi, well, look, he's actually going to go unless you tie him up now. So on many times, an agent does help. And if they're a good one, that has the best interests of the player. But there's been other occasions where I've, I've known agents that have been toxic for the player because of being a little bit more, more about them or perhaps clubs that they have affiliations with as opposed to maybe what the best pathway of the player is. So for me, I look at that era saying I, I had to make the decisions myself. I made poor ones. If I had a, an agent or a good mentor, it would have probably been a, a, a different outcome. But at the end of the day, you, you have to take ownership yourself. I do encourage those young athletes that I train now, when they ask about agents, I say, look, in, in this part of the world anyway, it's a little bit easier to stand out. But yes, if, if an agent does approach you, you've got to look at the fact that it's not the big-name club they might try and dangle in front of you to get them to sign. It's still your apprenticeship, right? You're still 15. You're still 16. You still want to develop. And so be mindful of, of what they're trying to bring you away but then I I know players that have had a really good agent stay with them for a long time and thanks to that agent they've had a longer career yeah as opposed to maybe gone to the big lights and and failed and then and then see you later so which
0: is actually what we see a, a lot quite a bit in Australia like we <clears throat> you know in Australia in football i guess the sort of the objective is to try and get over to Europe i've read multiple articles of players who have come back because a situation just changes rapidly the coach that they're in favor with Gets fired. Yep. The other coach that comes in wants to play a different way. There's, there's sadly,
1: there's so many things outside of a player's control.
0: Yeah, when and it's not up, even about how good you are either.
1: No, when you grow up, you think, okay, the better I am, the uh, I'll be able to make it. Uh, to a certain extent, yes. You, you, if you stay in the game long enough and you continue to produce, you'll. There's not one way to make it. You'll eventually get your chance. But there are, there are many opportunities that, if you look at it, you go, well, hang on, it's really fifty percent talent. The other 50% is right time, right place, right connection, you know, injuries and stuff like that. And sometimes an agent being in the, the face or presenting you in this path to maybe this club, you know, it might be, for example, uh, a team in Belgium as opposed to a team in, in Division One England. Why? Because this type of player is, will be better suited to that. And he's 17. So we should send him here. Yeah. I know players that have never played for the Socceroos have never necessarily played for massive clubs, but have played 10, 15 years in certain leagues around the world, made a wonderful career because they've made wise decisions based on what's best for their football and, and being honest with themselves about their ability. So I knew that I was never a level that I could get to Serie A or to English Premier League or to the Bundesliga. But I also knew that there were certain levels, right time, right place and right opportunity that I could play in. But yeah. sometimes agents, they, they disregard that. I don't want to tell the player that they're not good enough for this or this I think a, a support network whether that's their family their parents uh, a mentor growing up through their teens to be very honest with them and think big picture it's not about making it when you're 18 yeah it's about understanding you need to still like any other trade earn your apprenticeship understand you know that the talent is one thing but the work ethic and the discipline you know we hear so many you know famous athletes in different uh, sports talk about okay so what did you do that made it well, I basically worked hard. I did things that others weren't willing to do. I had a good support network. Making it was a byproduct of my my work ethic. Some players love the idea of being an athlete or being a footballer. Yeah. name naming lights, the money that goes with it. So they can be volatile and they can be up and down with their attitude. Those players that just love to play because they love football and they just want to get better. Yes, I'm not good at that. I'll work on it. They're the ones that tend to last and survive. Yeah. Because they're the ones that just graft it out, grind it out year after year. And they don't necessarily get too down in the dumps when they didn't make that contract. That's okay. I'm still gonna play because I still can play at this level. And yeah. I'll work on that more. And a you know, great, great example of that is is Mila Yanenak. Mila Yanak never played for a single representative football team all throughout his teenage years. Never played for the young Socceroos, the Joeys, nothing at all. And at twenty-one, had a wonderful season at Sydney United where he got a four-week contract with Central Coast to replace one of their players. Now, he would drive up the highway after working all day to train for four weeks, and then he got... There was another player that got injured, and they gave him another four-weeks extension. And then the season finished. But he did enough and showed enough discipline and work ethic that they wanted to keep him the next year. The next year, he played so well that then he got signed by an overseas club in... Crystal uh, Palace? No, it was Turkey first. Okay. But he got signed in the Socceroos. Well, he got... Pim Verbeek at the time, I think mean, he was 22 or so, had one good season, but his work ethic, his focus, his discipline, and his talent just went whooshka. Whereas there were players in that same team, one of them in particular scored four goals, other players were very talented, but perhaps maybe didn't have the same approach and the work ethic or the or the nous, if you like, to put up with constructive criticism to make it in the end. Yeah. And you've got to admire players like that that play in two, three, four World Cups, that can play year after year at the highest level, even if they're in a different sport, because it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of focus to do that.
0: Well, your sort of nickname when you were uh, (laughs) playing was Mr. Consistent. So, you must was, have had a bit of a reputation. That was,
1: that was my agent at the time, came up with that one. He, he was a businessman. He tried to think of something that's different. But yeah, it, it was that.
0: It seems like you had the respect of your peers because you were there, you were working hard. You know, the sort of the defensive midfielder, sort of central midfielder position is one where, like, you, you're saving your team a lot of the time. And you're also the linking. It's like probably the most underappreciated role in football, to be honest. Just sort of casting back to what you just said earlier that like you didn't really have that sort of agent or that mentor sort of Mm -hmm. throughout your football career. And yet you really formed this sort of tough mental attitude towards working hard. Where did this come from? I want to know. Was it because of how you were raised? Is it because of how you are as a person? Yeah. Look, it's,
1: it's a combination of things. It's the, I guess the discipline and the, the focus came from my family and my upbringing. You know, that's, that's a hundred percent understanding and appreciating things and, and the faith that I have that, you know, I, I have to be a good steward with all that I'm given, so to speak, and, and not take things for granted and, and always be thankful for what you've got and don't waste it. My father loved this, this movie a long time ago called Chariots of Fire, you know, and, and that whole story. And he used to play it for me. And I, I guess I had that view of, yeah, I want to be someone who is famous and has a good solid foundation at the same time. But also what I went through, you know, what I went through as a young kid, nine and 10, trying to fit into a world of soccer and football that was very foreign to me. And the only real reason I was picked at the start is because I I just was a workhorse and I'd run all day and I was fit and I was fast. And I I had a a very quick, if you like, understanding of things. I could read the game well, but I lacked the natural things that a lot of the other players had, skill and touch and finesse. So when I'd go to these camps and these clinics – We used to play these 1v1 tournaments, these 2v2 tournaments and and do all these skills and I was completely out of my depth. And so I always, you know, I could look back up until I was about 16 and I always saw that I might have come in at, at, say, this point, say I'm the worst or the 10th best, right? Still out of a group of elite players, still out of a group of 30, but still in my mind I wanted to be that. And I never doubted that I could get there. I would just watch the best players and if you beat me 5-0, no dramas, want to play straight away. Mm. because I just want to learn. I had no fear because I was so used to being the worst or the 10th best in that elite group that I just wanted to work at it. But by the end of whatever year it might be, I'd then be the best or I'd then be the captain. So I was able to add on top of my work ethic and discipline the talent needed that I was able to learn, but I had to keep practicing it. But that was sort of ingrained in me by my family, ingrained in me by my faith, ingrained in me by early on having to do that to survive because I didn't have the natural natural talent.
0: You mentioned there that, that faith was part of mm. growing up. Now, can you just tell us a little bit about that? Baptist. So, you were raised Baptist, but yeah. then obviously you're going into this world of football where I'm guessing that yes. there weren't many people who were Christian. No Baptists there. <laughs> yeah, n- not many Christians around. <laughs> what was that like?
1: Mate, that was, look, when, when you're brought up, in whatever way you're brought up, right? You are kind of who you are based on your experiences, your culture, the time of, of the world that you live in, and, you know, I had a, a very positive influence put upon me by, in this case, Christianity. You know, some people have, sadly, a negative one. And, and I used to look at it fondly. And I had a mother that was very dedicated and spent time with me, helping me explore this faith and this understanding of, in this case, Christianity. So I naturally assumed that because it was such a beautiful love story, that, yeah, everyone would love to hear that. But you learn very quickly that there's people that have a very different upbringing and understanding and, and either don't want to or are very volatile towards those that, that have perhaps a feeling of faith and belief in something that they don't have or that they've had a bad experience with. So that can come in your face a lot, yeah. you know, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult. For me, it was it was when I was nine or 10 when yeah, you'd go on camps and there's 20, 30, 40 kids of all different, I guess, belief sets. And if you're the only Christian that hangs out and reads his Bible at night, then you're going to stand out yeah cause it's uncool to be honest and so you know you learn pretty quickly that you either can hide who you are and and shy away from it or even get aggressive and try and beat them in an argument which is is not really the bedrock of what christianity was about anyway it's yeah. it's it's very different to that or you just realize that you know people are just being who they are don't take offense to it and i had such an intimate relationship with my god that it was relationship, not religion, so wherever I went, I felt him close, honestly and real, so it was a natural progression that wherever I went, he came. But yes, you come into then adult life, you come into this in this time now, my identity became as a footballer, right and yeah what you did was a footballer everyone you know you're at training sessions, you've got kids asking for your autographs, you're traveling around the country, you're staying in beautiful places, you're playing in front of many people, you're on telly it's it's a wonderful life, and I started to spend more time. Doing those things and and trusting my own I guess ability and and I didn't do the things that I did that got me there yeah and and that was then became a little bit more of my downfall. Now I was asked a while ago you know can can a Christian be an athlete? And I said yes, of course you know because it's a matter of again where you spend most of your time where you spend your trust. We, we had a thing called Athletes for Christ, where any athlete from around the world or around Australia would meet at the institute. The, the, the U two thousand big games was was on our doorsteps. There was a lot of athletes coming from around the world. Yeah. And it was great to hear their stories and their testimonies that they're real human beings. They struggle with everything else, but they do remember their foundation and, and are very thankful for what they've been given. And, and they've tasted the world, and they grow thirsty when they are away from their faith. And that was what uh, my experience was. When I left home and I traveled at, at the world from 16 onwards and spent time you know, away from probably what I'd done most of my life, but I'm very thankful that I went full circle and, and came back to my foundations. And yeah, for me, it was a wonderful journey being a footballer. It was a wonderful time in my life. And I'm very thankful to have the opportunities.
0: Christians sort of believe that Jesus is going to be coming again. There's this sort of battle going on that Christ is sort of, he's going to, to win in the end. Looking general, back at your yeah. journey as well, where mm-hmm. you, these sort of forces were vying over you. You know, you know, you had a lot of time spent at football, but also you realized that faith was important, and you end up you yeah. also chose God in the end, and that's a choice that everyone sort of has to make.
1: I experienced both sides, and look, I'm not saying you should, I'm not saying you should just dabble and and test the waters, but at the same time, it, it's good to question everything, right? Because yeah. if you question everything. Because you may just believe something because you're brought up that way or you're, you're based in a certain culture or a certain time, like I said. So when you question something, then, then two things generally happen. One is it's like a house of cards and falls apart very quickly. Yeah. And suddenly this religion, so to speak, that you followed really doesn't stand up. And so that also leads to then you exploring more. So that's a good thing. But then the second thing that can happen is that it actually stands up and, and it strengthens your resolve to go, well, actually, hang on. It's always been a maybe a distant thing. I just believe because of my family or my people. Whereas actually now as an adult or a teenager, I'm questioning it and it's standing up and it's, it's about relationship now. If, if we talk about Christianity anyway, the, it's not one necessarily individual message in the Bible. It's the whole Bible from start to finish. And I always say to, to some of my, um, wonderful, beautiful clients that, that are, we have very good discussions with. I said, I, I find it, you know, sad sometimes that, that, that people allow other people to dictate how they feel about something and you should experience it yourself. Mm. Because if, in my case, I had, yes, a positive experience at the start about what Christianity was about and what the Bible was about through my mother and through my family, but I still, once the bubble burst, had to explore it myself. Yeah. And I had to decide, is this a religious thing or is this a relationship? Well, it can only be a relationship if I spend time exploring it. It's very difficult to trust something or someone you have no idea about. Yeah. So, for me, I found that when I spent a conscious choice to trust in myself and my identity was a footballer and I chose the world and I chose to go this way and not to spend time doing what I once did but there. It was not because I was upset or angry or didn't believe. It was because I just fell into that decision, conscious decision, take full ownership for it. The wonderful message for me, though, is that at all times, I knew, regardless of whatever I did, that I had a, an intimate relationship at one point that I knew the truth and felt my Heavenly Father always there. So I felt that I had the foundation to come back to. It wasn't a religion I came back to. It was my father, so to speak. Yeah. And so for me, I'd tasted the world and realized that I always needed to refill the cup. I always was thirsty. And I think when people have an opportunity to maybe really assess at some point in their life, they could be later down the track in their 70s, they could be in their early 20s, you know, men, especially when we think about, well, who are we, especially if we become a parent or or, or we're, we've achieved our corporate world, what are we all about? And I think at that point, I knew my foundation. I knew why the hole was there.
0: Mm. Because
1: when I was close to my um, faith, I never felt alone. I never felt lost. I never felt that I didn't have purpose. When I was a footballer, living my dream is when I felt the most lost, the most alone, and the most not understanding, well, actually, what's my purpose? Mm. So, it, it was easy to gravitate towards I always knew gave me the most fulfilling, if you like, life. And when I look back now and think of some of those little messages you hear throughout some of your your church services, it didn't really make too much sense at the time when Jesus says, you know, through me you can live life to the fullest. Our first thoughts is like, well, how? Because all Christianity seems to do is tell you what you can't do.
0: yeah. Set of well, rules.
1: Yeah, but when you realise, that, "Well, that's religion." Because if if I now looking as a dad, when I give my my daughter or my son information on what I'd like them to do, it's because of safety, and I know because out of love, I don't want them to do that because it's going to hurt. Don't cross the road; they're going to get hit by the car. So I look at God's rules as not a killjoy, but as a way because He understands and loves me the most. That that trust that I had as a kid, I need to have again because He. And through him, I've lived life to the fullest. I've yeah. had more joy and more fulfillment in being close to him than I ever have whenever I was living in the world. Yeah. But it's important to not talk to people about that to try and just win an argument because that's not love, that's not Christianity. You love them, you support them, you meet them where they are. And whether it's my clients or my friends or my mates and if they ask me about things, I don't want them to know me as someone who um, just says things but lives a different way. Yeah, so that makes sense. So, for me, my faith and my Heavenly Father that I've always known has always given me the most fulfillment. Yeah. Whereas the world that I chose to live in for a period of time, even though I was living my dream and enjoying, you know, uh, being a footballer, that was the time that I realized, hang on, I'm way off. Yeah. I haven't been here before. This is uncharted territory and this is this is not fulfilling.
0: So, Yeah. yeah. A lot of footballers, the, the question when they start contemplating retirement is, what, mm. what, what are we going to do next? Yeah. What was the a first sort of – around what point did you start thinking about that? What are you going to do? Because some footballers go into punditry. Others, mm. you know, might even just start their business. I know footballers who you go into construction. What, what were you considering as the post-football opportunities? Oh, man, it's, um,
1: it's, it's a great question because it's, it's such a big topic, right? There's, there's a lot of us now around the world that from all different sports – you know, talk about how the transition is is so difficult Yeah, and there needs to be more for those that are even, you know, youngsters getting into the sport because there's so many factors that come into them not making it right. And it's very difficult when since they've been, you know, 10, 12, 15 being elite or being working towards something, they achieve it and then it's taken from them yeah. or they just can't continue kicking on contracts dry up and you know they say athletes die twice the first death is when you stop playing at whatever age it's it's a very difficult difficult time what makes it easier is thinking about what you were just saying it's okay although I love my life and I love being a professional athlete and I love everything about it you know I haven't bought a pair of boots in a decade I really need to start thinking about it but the difficult part though is that it's all you've ever known. Hmm. You've never studied. You've never had to sit in the room. In fact, most of the time when school was on, you were away on tour, your whole identity is who you are as an athlete. You you travel in hotels, you never have to pay for. You 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 have the life that you've always wanted. And now you're either losing form or the contracts are starting to drop or you're getting injured. But you you still try as best you can to stay in it. Because that's all you've ever known. To to have to say to an athlete, no, what you actually need to do now, mate, is sit in a classroom, get a degree on something you really don't care about, and get less money doing that or no money until you finish the degree, even though you've been earning X amount being a footballer. And then when you turn up to the job side or when you turn up to the, the job, they couldn't care less whether you scored a hat-trick in round five. Just pick up the dishes or just get to the job side on time, and you, you fall down the pecking order. And you also lose that team environment. You also lose that that stimuli of, of getting in there and getting stuck in and aiming for a game on the weekend or aiming to make the finals or you know for other sports it's competitions like Olympic Games and stuff so it's such a difficult time for me what made it a little bit easier was I went from full-time to part-time and I was I was about 25 26 so I'd already had a taste a, le- a little bit early in those early 20s where I was away from the game tr- in between full-time contracts so although I didn't like it I had a little bit of a taste of, okay, you, you need to actually think about this a bit more. I probably checked out a little bit earlier. So rather than actually go, well, no, I'm, I'm going to stay in it and I'm going to go through it. When Sydney FC invited me to their World Club Championship in Tahiti, it was a, a five-week contract. And when we were finishing, we qualified for the World Club Championship in Japan, which Liverpool had, had won the Champions League, so they were going to be there. Yeah,
0: the FIFA Club World Cup. FIFA, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, cool. Now, this is an example of, A, poor decisions – should have probably had an agent to, to look after it, but also me not being probably what someone like Miller Yedinak is and the others that stick it out. And Pierre said to me, look, Todd, all the players were signed before I got here because they were signed by the club. He came in only about a month before the, the pre-season cup. I want you to stay on until we go to Japan and then you never know what might happen. Players get injured and, stuff, and the rest of it. My answer was, well, no, unless you're going to pay me, I'm going to go back and do my PT job because I've just started that a few months ago. Yeah. And then he said, okay, well, I still want you to come back, but you've got to come back a few weeks before the tournament. Now, what I should have done is, mate, I'll do everything I can to still um, come to training and then go work later as a PT. But my attitude was, no, unless you're going to sign me, I'm not interested, I'm going to start my own career doing this. And so I never really got back into full-time football. A month before the World Club Championship in Japan, I went back and in the first session, I went, oh, my knee's a bit sore. And I did my other knee.
0: Oh, really? So I
1: missed the World Club Championship then because I then had to have another a op And that was me then going, you know what? I'm over it. Even though I didn't help myself, right? I just didn't want to go through the mental anguish again of and knowing how much effort you need to put into it. And I went, no. So I'll now just do part-time, pick up money wherever I can, and then I'll start my PT. So, you know, fast forward another five years when I was 30, and I've been doing now sort of PT a little bit, playing semi-pro with with Sydney Croatia I had an easier transition yeah so I feel for those athletes that are very good go all the way until they're about 33 and don't really have any interest in anything else they're not necessarily the persona that can run a business or can work on a job site they struggle a lot their family life struggles a lot so what what I think would be great which I know there's a little bit of movement is you know locally and globally is 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 things to try and help athletes while they're in you know, their sporting arena to, to get little, you know, certificates or qualifications that expose them to the real world is hopefully to make that transition a, a bit easier.
0: Uh, yeah. You've mentioned in like some of our conversations that mm-hmm. the transition from p- kids wanting your signature at the, you know, training ground mm-hmm. to transition out into the, the other uh, world of, you know, corporate life or whatever yeah. is, is a humbling one. Did you (laughs) find that a lot of your mates struggled more and did you find that there was more difficulty with mental health there because of that too? Oh, massive. I mean, you know, if if I think of the players that I'm still keeping contact
1: with, I think there'd be probably maybe two that although they still miss it and still, you know, are, are okay with being retired, they've got pretty decent careers that they've gone into. Yeah. The rest... They all struggle, yeah. the rest you know mental health now is, is is quite talked about commonplace so to speak, yeah we had it back then we didn't certainly know a name for it or we wouldn't talk about it, but you know we had our 20 year reunion a few years back, and you can still see the the struggle with those that those guys that are in their mid to late 30s you know I, I still see players that were older than me that retired before me that are in their 40s and 50s and they've never really you know, some of them work in car washes, and some of them have become teachers, and you, you can see there's such a there's such a a gap. There's uh, you can never replace it, and of course it's it's so quick to finish. Yeah, right. It's like, All it takes it's, is one injury, terrible. right? One injury, or, or or one bad decision, or you go like you've mentioned before. You know, a player signs a contract, and then suddenly it's taken from him. He comes back, and there's no opportunity at that point so he has to play state league and then he never gets a chance or he, he makes poor decisions personally he spirals out within two years he's done and that's not in soccer that's in other sports and so it's it's a very very tough time I, I don't think you ever get over it like it took me and I never even played that high that long you know I'm going mean, to talk a mid 20s in 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 Australia which was which was wonderful but I, I didn't play in English Premier League or Serie A for 15-20 years right but you know, financially, is one thing to be set up and be sound, but but what do you do day to day? You know, apart from a couple of commentary and interviews, unless you're super famous, like in, in Australia, like your Tim Cahills, most of us just go, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, and so that's when it becomes really difficult. You know, that's when you go, well, who am I? What is my identity? I, I've seen the wizard behind the curtain. I've gotten to the top of Everest. What next? And so that's when personally you start to constantly refill that cup to try and take your mind off it. Like I was about to say, it, it took me almost ten years before I actually felt comfortable watching a game and not actually wishing I was still there. To mm. so actually comfortably now go in as um, a strength listening coach and really enjoy just watching and admiring the talent of the other players. The the teams that I look after now, the players that were the youngest players are now the retirees almost. Mm. You know, they're like thirty-four, thirty-five. You know, there's regret, there's there's times that you could spend too much Focus on what should have been, and that doesn't—that's not good for anyone. But the mental health aspects and the 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 struggle that athletes, and especially the ones that I know, is is very real, and I think will be real for them until almost they, yeah, die a second time, so to speak.
0: You mentioned that you caught this idea early, and you started building up your business even whilst you were playing in in the NPL. That that it became because then the A League came in. That was the top division, and now. You retired. What, you, so you retired with Sydney United or Sydney yeah. Croatia? What yeah. year was that?
1: Uh, that was two thousand and twelve. The the day my daughter was born, I went. You know what? The next day was our last game, and I thought that's a good time to finish.
0: Oh wow! Yeah. What a what a life changing moment. That must have been incredible.
1: <laughs> you needed something to take my mind off it, and she uh, she sure did, mate.
0: So after that, you you were obviously becoming we were a back. full time father, and then you were also you know working on your business more. Now mm. you know, as I talk to you now your business is doing very well. You're, you're a very busy guy. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you're up to presently?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I, I transitioned into strength and conditioning. So, as a strength and conditioning coach and, and then personal trainer. And so, I, I had the idea of, of going into hotels because we used to travel all the time and hotels were always there with gyms that we used, but they were always empty. So, I, yeah, about oh, 12, 14 years ago, I just cold knocked on one of those hotels and said, do you mind if I offer PT? To your members and clients, and it took off from there. So, my my time is spent with clients I've had for a long time at member health clubs in 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 hotels, so Langham Sydney, for example. But part of that has also opened me up to as a consultant helping companies like Technogym and and now with Elia Wellness about trying to educate and provide education for those that are either trainers trying to you know better themselves or those that are looking to get into health and fitness. So it's still in the realm of things that I enjoy, as in, you know, fitness and sport and health and young athletes. But it's been wonderful to be able to, you know, have a bit of diversity with it. So the corporates that are from the hotels, traveling a lot through companies like Techno Gym here and overseas and seeing what's on trend and helping people set up their gyms. And then at the same time help those that are young athletes better themselves and prepare for for their hopeful pro contracts. So I've done that now. 10, 15 years. It's been good. I'll get a real job one day, like I always say. <laughs>
0: and uh, yeah, that's that's what I do, mate. I've noticed that one of your big pieces of emphasis is not just the health, not like not just how much you bench at the gym. <laughs> it's also about what you eat, keeping mm. your, your mental health strong. Would yeah. you say that that's because of your experiences as a football mm. player? Do you think that you'd have more of an emphasis on this stuff, having been yeah. through what you went through?
1: Yeah. Look, when I started, I mean, majority of my life and environment was around fit people, yeah. right? So when I first, you know, say I got my PT stuff after my SNC qualification, I thought, okay, I, I don't like gyms. I've never been to a gym, yeah. right? I've always been to, you know, N-Swiss and AES and this, we've never been to one. I need to find out what's out there. And it was unbelievable. It was like, oh my gosh, everyone's just lacks motivation. Everyone's just ill-disciplined. Everyone just just has no real get up and go. And so training someone and making them sweaty and, and throb is easy. That's not a problem, but that, that, that's one dimensional. The holistic approach needs to be before I even see you, I treat it as if I was an athlete. If you don't sleep well, if you don't, you know, replenish your fluids and hydrate and eat well, then by the time you come to your training session, you're no good to me. Yeah. So the focus has to be on that. You know, you stay in your scope of practice as a, as a trainer, for example, but, you know, when I stepped back to it, I realized that, hang on, the, the same sort of approach that I had towards my profession, I need to instill in these people. I need to give them some discipline and some focus and drive. Because, you know, motivating people is one, education is another. I always say to my clients, if you stay with me, it's because not only are you getting results, but I'm educating you as you go along and providing accountability. And I say that to the students that are, that are coming to the real world. Why do people put their hand in their pocket and pay for your time? It has to be more than just that you yell at them. Yeah. It's the fact that you can, you can relate to them. You can, you can pull apart, see the barriers and then fill the gaps. But at the same time, as I've gone on into, into, you know, year after year being a PT, you know, when I look at, say, the, the guys that I train, you know, those that I've met and those that I've trained over the years, especially the guys, they're, they're top echelon, they're affluent and they've achieved everything that they've needed to achieve in their world. So, yeah. mine was sporting world, theirs is the corporate world. And they have the same dramas and the same issues and the same mental problems that I had and athletes have. Yeah, they've reached the top in their corporate. They they wouldn't have, have have checked their bank account in a decade. They don't need to. They yeah. they travel. They go wherever they want. But the 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 holes that they have in their life is why now they focus on trying to fix their health that they've neglected for so long. And majority of the time, if you've neglected your health, it's more mental health that's getting affected, not just the physical side. Right? It's part and parcel. You can't dissect the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? So the focus, therefore, is on them. Okay. Well, in order for you to improve your your mental health, we need to get active, yes, but we need to talk about holistically what your life's looking at. Where do you spend your time? Diets, when we talk about in health and fitness, is not necessarily what you're putting in your body. Yeah, you know, That's one dimension. It's where you spend your time. What goes in your mind? Where you spend your time and your energy? What consumes you? Because that will influence you and, and your resilience will either be very low or you can build up strong resilience to things. The more active you are, the fitter you are the more strength you're going to have and resilience mentally and emotionally. So a lot of the time, it's helping those corporate guys fight those battles that maybe after 20, 30 years of neglecting, we need to try and change their culture, change their thinking, which doesn't happen overnight. And then, you know, at the same time, make them sweat.
0: Well, how do you find that sense of balance? Even Mm. with you, while you're a footballer, you know, what do you do when you get home? Or if you're like one of these guys who are corporate in their whole world, you know, 9 till like 12 p.m. when they- like to finally go to bed is just work. How does one find a sense of balance in their lives?
1: The one, one thing is to try and have quite an open and sometimes brutal conversation. To say that the, the body doesn't lie. And if you continue on the path that you're on, then it will far outweigh the tough work you might think it's going to be in the next couple of months to get you into shape. Because if you're not fit and you're not active and you're not looking after yourself, you're doing the opposite. So it's still a choice. Just because you're choosing not to train doesn't mean you're not choosing to be unhealthy. That's going to be the byproduct of that choice you make. So once you get real with them and you start to understand that whether you think you're going to make a decision or not, you are. Whether you choose to be active and look after your health or not, it's still a choice you're making. And all these things that you want to do and all these things in the in the corporate world that you want to do will not be able to be done and sustained or even to the level that you could if you don't look after yourself, from that point onwards, mentally and emotionally, you've got to be a buy in. And then it doesn't matter whether I make them walk, run, jump. They just know that that is going to lead to what ultimately they want. And that's sort of the, the approach and the first thing. For me, with my balance, I always talk to them about you're, you're looking at an athlete, for example, why do we have half time? Why do we have days off? Mm. Because recovery is just as important as training. Yeah, so we've become a little bit more astute in the last probably decade about sports science and how to recover better, but we're all like Ferraris, so to speak, or well sort of refined pieces of machinery that if you don't recover well, if you don't look after it, it's going to just chug along. Hmm. So the training part is easy. It's all the things you do outside of that. So for me, recovery and rest are just as important as training. So my first conversations in a warm-up is, how would you sleep? Mm. Yeah. Did you book in that time that you needed to, to go see, you know, the person who was the physio or the, 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 the blue and green, we call it? Have you seen any blue and green today? Even if you can't physically train today, as, as what we f- focus on training to be like strength and, and uh, cardio, go for a walk. Mm. Yeah. Wellness for me is anything that improves your wellness, right? And what is wellness? Wellness is something that makes you feel better that you don't have to give too much of effort or time to do. It might be for you reading a book. Mm. It might be for me standing outside looking at the stars. It might be someone actually going for a run. Yeah, Because for them, that's their release and that's not difficult mentally and emotionally, I mean, not physically. Does mm. that make sense? So if you look at exercise as a barrier and you look at training with a trainer as a barrier, then don't do it. Mm. Go for a bushwalk instead. Go for a swim instead. Because if you like it and you're going to be more consistent with it, that inevitably will lead to a better active you. Mm. It's far better than trying to come and do a hit session with a trainer, so to speak. So my balance is I try my best to have a decent amount of sleep on a consistent basis. Consistency is key. I try and also make sure that my rest is consistently on Saturday so I never book anything in as best I can because mentally I know that come Friday afternoon, Friday night, it's not a problem no matter how hard it's been. I've got the night and the rest of the day off and Sunday I start again. And I also make sure that I listen to my body continuously and I ask my clients to do the same. So if you've turned up to my session and we've got planned a high intense boxing session but you haven't slept well or you've had a tough week or you've got some stress at work, there's no point me flogging you to try and just tick a box. We might change it and say, you know what, all we need now is actually a good stretching session Mm. and we need a good, what we call a wellness walk. Mm. A lot of my corporate clients turn up and they say, I just want to walk for 45 minutes, Todd. I haven't been outside all week or I've been stuck in a car or stuck in a boardroom all week. So just let me get out. Now for me, I go, well, there's so much other stuff I could do with it, <laughs> Yeah. But at the end of the day, if mentally and emotionally this is going to help you and release you, then let's just start. Because if I'm not here, you ain't going to walk. And I know at least fresh air, direct sunlight is very, very uh, beneficial. Then just make a new lift some weights or just make a new box.
0: Yeah. yeah. Your approach that you're instilling into all of your clients. Now, it's such a encompassing <laughs> thing and, you know, the, your, a person's <clears throat> wellness informs pretty much every aspect of their life. Have you got any sort of Stories or testimonials that you can share that you've noticed that a person's relationships, their Mm -hmm. you know outlook on life, their positivity have been affected positively by putting these changes in?
1: Oh, massively. Every single person that is consistent, at least in the first couple of weeks, automatically notices changes internally. So, at this point, you haven't necessarily had much opportunity to lose the the common things we talk about, right? Like, I want to lose body fats. I want to increase muscle size. The first things they notice straight away is they can handle stress better. They're sleeping better. Their energy levels are up because they've, they've spent time now, you know, actually doing something active, but now they have more energy. How does that work? Yeah. Because your body doesn't want to sit and do nothing and be in a stressful environment the whole time. Yeah. So, the first things I notice is they come to me and they say, you know, actually, I'm just not so tight and stiff. I just feel good. Yeah. So, once you start those foundations, they start to notice the difference. Their relationships and everything else inevitably improve because they're not so stressed when they're dealing with... That's why I think politicians need to sleep more and hydrate more.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, we might get a more positive outcome in this country. It really does sort of stem... <laughs> Globally.
1: Yeah. Globally. How many politicians are lacking sleep and dehydrated?
0: How many that's wars was were started care? because one politician <laughs> didn't get you, enough sleep?
1: So, that's the first thing. The training is the easy part. Yeah. Even the word training scares people. So don't train. Just, you know, do things that improve your wellness, which for some people, mentally, emotionally, I'm talking about. Some people might be just, you know, sitting out and and looking outside for the first time in a
0: week. Mm. Yeah. Very important. There you go. A cue there for our listeners. Start small. Now, Todd, I just want to sort Mm -hmm. of switch gears and and jump back onto the football thing because given it is this sort of tournament season, now we're pretty lucky in that we've got two years of big tournaments in a row because of this delay so this year we have euro 2020 and then Copa america 2021 and then next year we have the world cup in qatar so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens but um as someone who is sort of staying in touch with the football side of things around the world what do you reckon that people can expect what are the teams that are the hot favorites this year
1: Well, let's, let's go with Euros because I'm a bit more up to speed with, with all of that. I've always taken interest in that since I was, since I was younger. I guess you've got to take in consideration. I always used to look at who did really well in the Champions League. I know that England, because of how good they did in the World Cup, they're playing a lot of games also in, in England as well. So they're, you know, tipped to be at least one of the top probably four favourites alongside obviously France, the World Cup champs. And then they were
0: like the finalists at Euro 2016 last time around as well. Yeah. And I think Portugal
1: obviously have even got a stronger team now. One, you know, they used to joke a couple of years ago that Portugal that won, didn't really win traditionally Portuguese style, right? They were kind of well sort of organized and and sort of grinded games out. But you look at them now that, that they've got very strong players. Individually, they're very good. They've obviously proven that they can do it at the top. You've still got What's that guy? Um, Cristiano Ronaldo. What's that guy? That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still got him floating around, razzling. So, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be probably crazy to ignore them yeah. in general.
0: You've got the Belgians that have got as strong as a unit. Romelu Lukaku um, just was top scorer in Serie, Serie. A. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, he wasn't. I think Ronaldo was top scorer. Yeah, anyway, Gen- but they, Inter Milan won the, won the league did. for the first time in a really long time.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is good. Good for Serie A football because Juventus have done it for so long. Yeah. And then you look at... Oh, look, I know that there's always a, an outsider, right? There's always a, a team in any tournament that sort of does better than no one really thinks, you know, the normal, you know. I mean, the Welsh last time, right, they, they made yeah. the semi-finals and lost to, to Portugal. They might fancy themselves. I know you've got Turkey, you've got a few good players that are playing in, in decent leagues as well. They won't probably fear so much. But, you know, I'd, not that you ever want to write them off, but Germany seemed to have died off a little bit in the last couple of years. You know, I haven't really... Um, thought too much about them you've got the polls with Robert Lewandowski uh, yeah he got <laughs> what player of the year so he's you know I, I, look if if you're striker in any tournament obviously you look at Harry Kane did well in the last World Cup they start well get confident and that tends to carry them so your top four would probably be France being current world champions England because of doing quite well last time where they're at and still got the players that are a little bit more experienced yeah like a little bit inexperienced when they did the last World Cup playing a lot at home Maybe, obviously, the Spaniards are always strong. And Portugal, then maybe Italy.
0: Yeah. The outside. Italy quite, are doing quite you know, well. I think they, were, they, they had, had this really long, undefeated run as well. Yeah. And Mancini's good.
1: Yeah. He knows his stuff. So, yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting. But I'm just excited that we now have it. Excited yeah. that we've gone from quite a, you know, well, last year was almost non-existent to having, as you said, back-to-back years of football. And and you've still got someone like Ronaldo that's hopefully um, still going to shine, mate. They don't come around all the time, those players.
0: For sure, it's going to be interesting because, you know, as we're recording this, only a few days ago, my Mm -hmm. mates and I got up for the the Champions League final to watch Chelsea beat Manchester City. I don't know how they did that because nobody (laughs) could have called that. But um, then, obviously, also, there's the second division of European football, which is the Europa League, and Manchester United were there. And, like, how they lost, again, was just beyond me. Very random stuff. But, yeah... (laughs) some really interesting things there and exactly what you mentioned there is definitely a link between the clubs that do well in the Champions League and then the international teams that how they how they go there so pretty interesting stats yeah we'll be interested to see what happens there for sure just before we finish up let us know where you know if our audience wants to to chat with you further where can they find you Instagram is is Todd
1: Brody 7 and and I think later this year in in the Wurundjeri area in the hills area we're going to look to have like a a a free men's health club yeah which is basically designed to just you know get together train work out together all complimentary just for men of of pretty much any age up once they hit sort of 12 up, yep. to just spend some time together and hang out and things like that. So, maybe I'll, I'll share that information a bit closer to the date and you
0: can pass that on to your audience. Yeah, that will be amazing. Pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much, Todd. Really appreciate your, your time and that you That's came fine. into the studio to have a chat and uh, sharing all your stories. Anytime, then.
1: Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.